The Terminator is a 1984 American science fiction film directed by James Cameron. It stars Arnold Schwarzenegger as a cyborg assassin sent back in time from 2029 to 1984 in order to kill Sarah Connor, played by Linda Hamilton. Her only hope is another time traveler from the future, Kyle Reese, a human soldier sent back in time to protect Sarah. The story was written by Cameron and producer Gail Hurd. The Terminator topped the United States box office for two weeks, helping to launch Cameron's film career and solidify Schwarzenegger's status as a leading action hero. The film's success led to several sequels, a television series, comic books, novels, video games, and was even selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry. The sequel, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, was released in 1991 and became an instant classic. With a larger budget and cutting-edge special effects, the film wowed audiences. In this film, Skynet sends a new Terminator, the T-1000, back in time to kill John Connor. But the human resistance has captured and reprogrammed a T-800 Terminator to protect the savior of humanity from the new threat. While we were preparing this episode, Leslie Hamilton Freyas, Linda Hamilton's twin sister and stunt double, passed away at the age of 63. Outside of her role working with Hamilton in Terminator 2, Freyas worked as an ER nurse. She was a consummate caretaker who was devoted to not just her children, but the lives of others. Today on Dead End, we will be reviewing Terminator 2 Judgment Day. This time he's back for good. Dead End, a disaster movie podcast hosted by a couple of guys who have been experiencing Judgment Day every day for a while now. I'm Matt Bluma. And I'm Rob Boshe. Well, it's been quite a while since we've done a podcast, Rob. It has. I think the last time we put one out, it was a couple months ago, but uh, it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. You know, each time we have to talk for a good hour before we even start recording and then editing is like hours and hours and finding movie clips is even more time and it's summertime i need a vacation yeah been uh doing a lot of camping because it's the only thing you can safely do with the coronavirus still going on right yeah camping tubing river things yeah we went on this camping trip down the wisconsin river and you know, it was pretty nice. Didn't see a whole lot of people, but we ran into these crazy people that all went running down the sand dunes totally naked. I have detailed files on human anatomy. <laughs> and like they did it a bunch of times and they were like, oh, you should you should do it. And it was like, no, just just keep paddling. Let's get out of here. <laughs> just keep paddling. <laughs> I don't know. It was some weird like hippie commune group of people. But yeah, other than that, you know, working, you got to wear the mask now everywhere, which is, it's kind of a nice thing for me. I've been uh, 
always wanting to grow a mustache, and now I can finally work on it in private. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I'm building a stealth bomber under a hangar here. (laughs) But yeah, it's good that I can do this without my coworkers seeing how terrible it takes, or my facial hair growth is. (laughs) It does give you a good opportunity. The masks give you opportunities. Yeah, the girlfriend says she never puts makeup on like the bottom of her face now. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, another benefit, I guess. Well, should we introduce the film? <laughs> the 1991 James Cameron film. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. <laughs> Is that what we watched? So we've, we've tried to review this movie before, and like the first crack at it, we didn't really know what we were doing. And I think I took more than 20 pages of notes and realized that I had, like, pretty much wrote down the dialogue and screenplay of every scene. (laughs) Right. But, yeah, you can't make a podcast by just, you know, saying every single scene. So trying this again now. We rewatched the movie. It's good because I actually own this movie. Um, But when were, how old were you, like, the first time you saw this movie? Oh, geez. I don't know. Like, it came out in 91, but we were, like, four or five years old. But I feel like this was the first movie that I saw when, like, DVD became a thing for, you know, high definition at home. And I think it was, like, the year 2000. I must have been around, like, 13 years old. And I watched it at a friend's house who had, like, a really nice TV with, like, the surround sound system. And this movie just, like, blew my mind. Yeah, it was definitely a iconic movie. Memorable movie. It was, uh, yeah, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but... I can't remember if... I don't think I, like, thought it was scary. I thought every bit of it was just cool. Like, the action, the story. Arnold Schwarzenegger was, like, you know, at his peak. Well, maybe not his peak, but on the rise up for sure. But, yeah, now kind of going back and looking at it a little bit more. So this is, um, like you said, James Cameron's film, and he's wrote the story for the first Terminator and directed it. And those were like, that was his first big movie. He's kind of a weird guy. When James Cameron was in that South Park episode and they did that whole thing of him raising the bar from the bottom of the Marianas Trench and going down to the bottom of the ocean, I'm like, oh, that's kind of a funny joke. And then I like looked up the real news of James Cameron going down in a submarine to the bottom of the ocean. And it's like, whoa, he's intense, you know, he's got this passion for, like, engineering and science and discovery. Yeah. And the more I looked into it, like, his movies, they just are all at another level. Like, Titanic is the probably most famous after Terminator 2. But even the movie The Abyss is another crazy one where he went through all this trouble of building sets inside decommissioned nuclear power plants, South Carolina, and had them all doing, like, professional diving suits and all that. He's always done amazing things, and I guess I never really noticed it was him. The other thing that I found out was him and John Carpenter actually worked on a lot of stuff together. So the guy that did one of our recent movies, The Thing, where James Cameron was brought in as like technical special effects coordinator. Right. And remember I told you I was watching Piranha? Okay, yeah. That's James Cameron again. Is it really? <laughs> it really is. He has a bunch of like these kind of 
stepping stone movies until he got to the big ones. And then it seemed like every movie he made for a while was just amazing. Right. Yeah. And you could yeah. argue through the modern stuff, but. Oh. So, yeah. You want to start? This movie takes place 13 years ago today, August 29th, 1997. Three billion human lives ended on August 29th, 1997. The survivors of the nuclear fire called the war Judgment Day. They lived only to face a new nightmare, the war against the machines. They open with the shot of the freeway in Los Angeles. Wait, no, it is. it doesn't take place at that time. Well, that's like Judgment Day. Yeah, that's Judgment Day, so then it takes place, uh, was it, was it 2029 or something? Yeah, jumps forward to the future. We see just mountains of human skulls everywhere. Crunch. <laughs> Put Skull. some more skulls over there. That's what they must have said when they were setting up this sh- scene. Step, step on that skull. Not enough skulls. <laughs> but yeah, it, um, we get this battle between humanity and the machines that now have like soldiers that look like robot skeletons and these flying helicopter things. And it looks like humanity is losing the battle with the machines. And we have Linda Hamilton, who plays Sarah Connor, doing the opening narration. And, like, all the narration in this movie is just so good. She does a great job on all of it. And it fills in this ridiculously complicated backstory. Like, I think we all take for granted, you know, we've seen it enough times that we kind of know the story of Terminator 2. But it's very complex with sending you know machines back through time and in this movie like the first one we have a terminator being sent back but now he's been reprogrammed to protect john connor but i remember as a kid like the first times watching this it was very confusing yeah so after we see uh old John Connor's scarred face looking at the war with the machines, we cut to the title and opening credit sequence, which is this burning playground, and it's just, oh, it's like my favorite scene of a, opening scene of a movie. Yeah, and it kind of slowly plays out, like, throughout the movie. They kind of slowly show that clip by clip until it builds. Yeah, because... This, like, hellfire in the beginning is from a nuclear bomb that is how Judgment Day kicks off. The machines become sentient and launch, like, nuclear bombs on cities everywhere. But after the opening credits are introduced to our two time-traveling robots, do we, we get Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he's crouched down in this, like, time sphere, which... You know, it's a cool effect. They show it, like, cutting through the surroundings, and I always loved that as a kid, like... Time sphere. The hot, glowing metal. Yeah. Yeah. Arnold, he goes to the nearest place, and, you know, when he was transported through time, he didn't have any clothes, so he walks into this biker bar, and he's scanning. Yeah, that cool red, like, point-of-view shot. Yeah, his computer brain scanning everybody and trying to size them up for their clothes and boots and whatnot. So then he finds a match and tells his, tells the guy, uh, 
I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. <laughs> and the guy doesn't really take too kindly to that. I forgot to say please and tries putting his cigar out on his chest and Arnold doesn't even move, whatever. And so everybody's kind of bug-eyed, freaking out, like what the hell's with this guy? And then everyone gets their asses kicked and he gets his motorcycle and clothes. <laughs> yeah, I always loved that exchange between him and the bar owner at the end where he's ready to go on the motorcycle. Can't let you take the man's wheels, son. Puts the kickstand out and comes back, grabs the shotgun out of his hands. And then his sunglasses. So yeah, I'll take them sunglasses too. Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they were going to cut that whole scene, too, at the bar and shit, and that's, like, that's one of the best scenes. Yeah, I mean, every time I see it, that guy that gets thrown into the the kitchen and he burns his hands on the stove, stove. I just cringe every time I see that. Yeah, yeah just iconic. Well, after um, we're introduced to Arnold as the T-800, um... We have Robert Patrick, who plays the T-1000, the, you know, latest and greatest terminating infiltrator killer human robot from Skynet. And, you know, he already has this kind of human form as he comes through the time sphere, which, he, you know, always is going to return to that same image. But right off the bat, like, he starts by becoming like a impersonating a police officer. And I thought this was kind of an interesting choice because um, Arnold seems like just such a brute, you know, straight to the point, get guns, go to the target. Whereas the T-1000 seems like it's much smarter and it's trying to keep a low profile, become a police officer so you get the resources to track and find people. And it seems already right off the bat that this this is going to be a much greater threat than the first Terminator because of how much smarter the machines got. Right. But it also kind of paints the police as the enemy of this movie. And for a lot of the time, uh, it's interesting that, you know, Arnold is shooting cops. But yeah, from the first movie, we have Linda Hamilton, who's Sarah Connor. And, you know, I had to remind myself that Linda Hamilton's also played, like, you know, Children of the Corn she was in, uh, Dante's Peak. So there's a bunch of movies that I keep seeing her now, but I always remember her for this role. And she's in an insane asylum, mental institute, <laughs> and uh, the doctor from the first Terminator movie, uh, Silverman, Dr. Silverman, played by Earl Bowen, you know, is doing some more uh, exposition, kind of filling in the backstory as he's walking, like, a bunch of new doctors through this, like, psychiatric ward. But Sarah Connor is the quintessential, like, survivor. And it's interesting that she's a woman in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting her being a woman in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's interesting, too, is, like, the T-1000, he's Robert Patrick, but he... Like you say, we took over the that one officer right away. But he has his uniform on. How come he doesn't just transform into the guy so he looks like that guy? I guess Robert Patrick would be out of a job then. <laughs> <laughs> or he'd have a smaller role, but... 
You know, because for the most part, when he does switch over someone, he's taking their physical attributes and their and their clothes. But the first guy, it's just his clothes. That police officer obviously would then be like reported missing, and that just seems like it would arouse suspicion. But otherwise, I guess it would have been a little weird to have like a quick introduce the second time traveling robot, have him look like somebody else, then abduct Robert Patrick as a police officer and go from there. Yeah. It's weird with with all the rules with the time travel and like nothing it has to be like living tissue going through. It doesn't um I don't know, it makes the whole thing way more clumsy and complicated. Because then you start thinking like, you know, these the skin on top of like Arnold's body, like does it get acne? Like does he have to give it like lotion or eat food so it replenishes and grows? Right. I guess in the TV show, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, they said that Terminators have been known to eat pizza and pancakes. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe they poop, too. Maybe they poop. But, yeah, after we see Linda Hamilton in the in mental hospital doing pull-ups and trying to stay, you know, focused on preventing Judgment Day, we're introduced to young John Connor, who's played by Edward Furlong. This kid, you know, I looked him up, so he's now he's 43 years old. So does that make you feel old? <laughs> he's had a lot of drug and alcohol and domestic abuse problems throughout his life. But I like, well, I like him now. I think as a kid I thought he seemed real whiny in this movie just because you, like, love Arnold Schwarzenegger being a badass. But I think he does a good job as playing a kid going through some of the situations and makes it believable. He's all right. <laughs> He's got, like, that dirt bike, and he's living with these foster parents, and he's just punk kid. Not my mother, Todd. He's cool, but he's definitely a whiny kid compared to the other characters. He's kind of a hacker. Like, his mom must have taught him, because he does that trick with the ATM machine in the beginning. Easy money. Sarah Connor was, like, uh, what, running with different gun runners and different people and that just to, like, gain any types of skills for survival or warfare or whatever, and was kind of teaching John all that before she went to the uh, insane asylum. Yeah, because after the events of the first movie, she's transformed from everyday woman working as a waitress to this hardcore military badass. But some of it has rubbed off on John Connor, and him and his ginger buddy go riding to the the mall to play video games. <laughs> <laughs> his friend i wish was in the movie a little longer i don't want that i don't necessarily mean that that kid should have been killed by the t-1000 i mean he gets shoved pretty hard but that's the end of him after that we never <laughs> that see was him it again. right yeah so they're using up their monies and coins at the arcade. Hey bro, I'm gonna get some quarters. I'll be back, all right? Cool. After they got their dollars from the ATM, and uh, here comes the T-1000. He's got the photograph that he got from John's parents, or foster parents, whatever. Um, he's going, asking kids, you know, have you uh, seen this guy around? And Ginger Kid's like, Nah, I don't know. So he goes and tells John, and just in the, at about the same time, someone points him out so he sees him and then there's a 
foot chase kind of through the back halls of the mall or we see John in the middle of the hallway and there's the T-1000 coming through the doors at this end and Arnold coming through the doors at this end. And at this point, we don't know who's bad, who's good. Yeah, they really do a good job. Like the, it goes into like slow motion and like that heavy hammer sound falling. Clank. It has this super heavy feeling to it. First gunshot after Arnold yells, get down, is, from my memory, I think, like, several different guns, a shotgun, a rifle, a pistol, and, like, a cannon all going off at once. Yeah, just to make it sound, like, epic. (laughs) Yeah, watching this with my dad, my dad was always like, you would be deaf in that hallway. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. But, yeah, pretty quickly we're introduced to the kind of rules of the T-1000. Um, he's getting shot, and you see, like, wherever it hits, it turns to, like, silvery material. And the special effects are kind of weird. Like, I know they're doing uh, a lot of practical effects, but then they do some CGI. Yeah, there was a lot of practical effects, yeah. So after they both run out of bullets, they start pushing each other through walls, and... Before we know it, we have the first chase scene of the movie. Come on! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, John Connor's got this little dirt bike, and then Arnold's got this badass Harley. Harley Davidson, fat boy. It's Robert Patrick. You know, he's slim and agile. And right away with this bike scene, he's just doing this amazing running. Like, Tom Cruise probably looked at Robert Patrick's running and modeled his own career after it. (laughs) Unbelievably fast. Yeah, I guess he did a lot of uh, training in that, like, a lot of running and stuff before the movie. I'm curious how fast he really is. You think they, like, speed it up a little bit after? I wonder how... No, like, I guess he was, like, incredibly fast, and, like, he wasn't even running as fast as he could, like, when he was chasing the uh, John on the bike. Damn. He did have a big stride. T-1000 commandeers this monster tow truck that's, like, it must be for towing other big rigs, because this thing's just enormous. And he, the canal scene is just unreal. Like, this movie, as a kid, I feel like I'd rewatched these, like, chase scenes just over and over again. Especially when they came out on DVD, it was just treasure to watch it. They did not actually do the bike jump. It was not practical. Yeah. I guess James Cameron studied some physics in his life, and I wonder if he's got a pretty good grasp of, like you said, that motorcycle jump was just not possible. (laughs) 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 That rear suspension would have just exploded. (laughs) Yeah, and there's like a weird continuity error with like the takeoff ramp looking like it comes to a point and then it's flat and truncated in the next scene oh really but yeah like every time arnold's on the bike and he does that really cool like sawed off shotgun he'll fire and then he'll like reload it by whipping it around like a (laughs) yo-yo yo-yo action so badass i don't know how like who came up with all these little ideas 
Iggy saves John Connor off his bike that gets squished, and then um, he takes out the tire. T-1000 loses control and just buries the truck into this, like, column in the canal. And we get an explosion. Sound effect, the spark igniting the gas. Everything about it's so iconic. This movie won an Academy Award for, like, sound design. Place There's lots of great sound effects. Okay, time out. Stop the bike. Time out. Come on, stop the bike. So after that, we get some more... Uh, Dialogue between, actually, I think this is the first dialogue between John Connor and the T-800, uh, Model 101, the Arnold Schwarzenegger skin over the T-800 exoskeleton. And again, he like explains a lot of the rules of like the time travel, the T-1000 can't, you know, imitate anything that has moving parts or chemicals like explosives, so it has to use knives and stabbing weapons as its main like attack otherwise the t-1000 has to like steal guns from other people because it can't imitate them but it's weird to think like skynet made these robots and they made them so they could look like humans so they could infiltrate human resistance cells and terminate all the humans john yeah is everything all right are you guys okay sure honey everything's okay are you all right John, it's late. Honey, I was beginning to worry about you. If you hurry home, we can sit down and have dinner together. I'm making beef stew. Something's wrong. She's never this nice. So the T-1000 is imitating John Connor's foster mom. And it's funny, like, you watch this movie a couple times and you see her see it cutting up vegetables. And you wonder, like, is it you know, really enjoy cutting up those, like, living organisms with its, you know, did it even need a knife or did it, like, turn one of its arms into a knife? <laughs> Whoever, like, every time they have the T-1000 played by another uh, character besides Robert Patrick, all of the actors and actresses do a really good job of this, like, weird look that it has in its eyes when it is killing another person by stabbing them to death. Kind of a weird, curious dog looking at something, but it's, you know, much more sinister because it's watching, like, a living thing die. Right. But, yeah, the T-800, he figures out this right away by, like, asking John Connor to tell him the name of the dog and then give it a fake name to see if it's, like, really your mom. Right. Wolfie? Wolfie's fine. That way that Arnold just hangs up the phone and is like, your foster parents are dead is just, oh... He's like the exact right person to deliver all this dialogue. It just comes off perfect when he says it. Right, yeah. But now, like, John Connor, after he starts realizing he can get the Terminator to do whatever he wants, gets too cocky with him. You know, he, like, starts talking smack to these two guys coming out of the liquor store. And this is, like, the first scene where I really hated uh, Edward Furlong or John Connor's character. Because, like, it just... This little kid getting picked on by bullies at the schoolyard and then, like, hitting him with a baseball bat. But I guess he doesn't realize how how crazy, like, the Terminators are just going to, if you are being attacked, just kill that person by default. And this is where he starts kind of programming the Terminator by saying, no, we're not going to kill people anymore. We're just hurt him real bad. <laughs> <laughs> what would you think of the slang in this movie? Calling moi a dipshit? <laughs> 
Oh, well, you know, that was classic 90s slang, I guess. As a 13-year-old, using the same hasta la vista and, uh, man, half the stuff he teaches the Terminator, now looking back, is so cringy, but I thought I was cool as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Saying this stuff on the playground. (laughs) John Connor and the Terminator go to get Sarah Connor out of the mental hospital. And Sarah Connor's already got this escape plan she's figured out because after the mall shooting uh, between the two Terminators, they showed, like, photos of them to her. So she must have known that, like, time's running out, so you got to escape tonight. And there's this scene where she's, like, being, you know, secured to the bed for the night. And the orderly from this mental hospital is, like, sexually assaulting her by, like, licking her face. (laughs) I think James Cameron has a real negative view of mental health. Especially in the 90s, you know, there was this whole thing where, in California, they got rid of the mental hospitals. So, like, all those people were just put out on the streets and then arrested and, you know abused through the prison system (laughs) that orderly they sure did pick a character yeah (laughs) i feel sorry for that guy like when you're casting it's like we're looking for somebody that's somewhere between pedophile and guy that has sex with dead bodies (laughs) and you're the winner that's that's what we're looking for right between those two (laughs) oh man you get the job picks the lock on her like restraints with like a pin in her mouth this whole sequence of her like getting out of her room beating up the orderly and then taking dr silberman hostage with a syringe full of like cleaning solution it always makes you like tense up the moment you see her just stick a needle into his neck like yeah crazy intense after drawing some Drano or some shit out of a bottle. Yeah, just having that in your neck is probably already pretty bad. Like, you might die right away. <laughs> I feel like a lot of nursing students or people uh, learning all the bones in the body feel pretty vindicated when she says, There are 215 bones in the human body. That's one. Now don't move. Nothing. That was like a partial joke. I didn't, uh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> nothing (laughs) i noticed though kind of a similarity so the first time john connor sees the terminators in the mall they slow down and they go into slow motion and the music gets quiet you hear just the hammer dropping and when sarah connor turns the corner and the elevator opens and she sees the terminator the same thing happens the movie goes into like slow motion the sound effects get much more clear and it's just the music and like her squeaking across that tile floor. No! <laughs> Mom! Well, and she's running towards the cop. You know, maybe she thinks the cop's a good one and doesn't know that the T-1000 right. is doing that side of things. But yeah, Arnold beats up a lot more people. Like, I feel bad for the orderlies that get, like, thrown into the ground <laughs> this time. Doesn't that one, like, there's a, a woman police officer or security guard, she, like breaks his sunglasses and i was really pissed at her just because those sunglasses were amazing like i wanted more of those sunglasses throughout the rest of the movie she gets off lightly he just shoves her really hard you know i think we even just passed by that scene where t1000 
comes out of the floor and attacks that other security guard. Remember, he's getting the cup of coffee out of the machine. Oh, right. Yeah, that was uh, before that. Yeah. Yeah, he was actually him and like a yeah. he had like his identical brother or something that was uh Yeah, twins. There's a couple twins yeah, sets in the movie. Twins or whatever. Winda Hamilton right. has a twin. But they used their twin in the the scene where they were transformed. Yeah, the T one thousand likes to go right through the eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor Silverman sees the T one thousand push his way through the bars and the gun gets stuck. Man, that's another like iconic scene of the movie. Yeah. It's a cool special effect. It wasn't a practical effect. In the elevator. They run away, they get into the elevator and uh well, T one thousand runs up, almost gets in and then manages manages to open the doors and jump on top of the elevator. Yeah, with those crazy metal hands, like when he He's turned his hands into, like, giant sword blades, but now it's like... Jaws of life. Yeah. Prize the doors open. And then back to the sword, stabbing through the roof of the elevator. I guess she actually, Linda Hamilton actually kind of went a little deaf or whatever, because shooting that scene or whatever, she took out she took out her earplugs or something. We were talking about the hallway scene in the beginning is bad. Shooting yeah. an elevator. Elevator with... Fuck. Yeah, I guess she didn't put her earplugs back in and... It was a little loud, as you could imagine. Everybody come! Assholes! Then she gets stabbed, too, by the T-1000, so I'm guessing that's when uh, the T-1000 gets access to her DNA or whatever. There's, again, like, the rules say that he can only imitate things that he's sampled. Like, he has to... Is that how the thing works, too? Mm. Hmm. You know, the thing came out before this, and James Cameron worked with John Carpenter, so I wonder if he saw the thing and was like, damn, I want that, but it's a robot instead of an <laughs> alien. does make you think. Parallels. But yeah, like you said, Sarah Connor, or Linda Hamilton has a twin, and after they get away from the T-1000, they kind of patch each other up, and there's this really amazing special effects shot where, like, they're digging in his, like, skull and they're in front of the mirror. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, for the chip. Yeah, and there's this whole scene where, like, you look like you're looking through a mirror, but I guess it's all shot backwards. And there's, like, the two um, Linda Hamilton twins are in the shot and then, like, they have real Arnold and then, like, this dummy Arnold... It's interesting. It's one of those that you got to kind of look up and see how it was done. And then you have like just a ton of respect for it because they make it look like perfect where you really believe they're digging in the back of Arnold Schwarzenegger's skull. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So now they run out to the desert to go, you know, meet up with some old friends and try to plan their next move. Rob, you speak Spanish? Cerveza, por favor. Time. <laughs> he says, like, well, you pretty much, uh, you just show up in, in my life at any point you want and screw it up, huh? Apparently she has done some things for him where... Yeah, Enrique. She calls him a snake right off the bat. <laughs> Shots of tequila. 
Before we dig up the guns. Big John. <laughs> I don't, like, the whole joke of they just call him Uncle Bob in this scene. I don't know. He seemed, like, James Cameron seems to be able to get away with humor that's real childish and silly. Whereas, like, you know, Michael Bay puts stupid stuff in his movies and it always just seems like Yeah, flop. it's like, what? <clears throat> Enrique's kid was standing there, like, little kid in uh, overalls or whatever, and Arnold grabs him by the back and just picks him up and holds him there by the overalls, like, looking at this little kid, like, what the hell's this thing? What what the hell's this little Terminator? It's like a claw game. <laughs> Not a Terminator, though. Just picked him up like uh, John Connor off of his bike, the bike scene. But, yeah, Enrique tells him that the cops are looking for him. They're all over the TV news. And, yeah, these guys are all, like, gun runners. So Sarah, back in the day, must have, you know, planted this cache of weapons out in the desert. I don't know. It's just, it's crazy because, like, the amount of stuff they have is thousands and thousands of dollars. Tens and tens. And, like, some of it you would have to get it from from a military because they're not going to sell you explosives, let alone a grenade launcher that fires them or uh, they had the minigun. Maybe they stole. Oh yeah, them. where where does this take place again? It's like they say it's in Los Angeles, so they must have gone yeah. down to Tijuana. But he's not in Mexico because I think she says like we'll hop the border at night when they get there, but it's close to the border. Yeah. So after she gets all the guns, she gets Enrique to let him borrow one of his trucks, and we see the Terminator. What is he changing a starter? Starter motor on the <clears throat> truck's gone? Um, how do you guess I didn't catch that? I don't know. That detail's, I guess, not too important. But I think it's funny because, like, the scene we have the Terminator acting kind of like a father figure. You know, he's working on the truck. And he keeps talking with John Connor about how, um, you know, John brings it up where he sees, like, kids playing with guns and you know, how humanity's never going to make it because we're obsessed with violence even from, like, a young age. You know, that's the thing we're always going to be trapped It's in your by. nature to destroy yourselves. And then, like, out of left field, you get that why do you cry question. Why do you cry? What is wrong with your eyes? <laughs> you know, and Sarah even literally says it out loud how the Terminator would make a better father. It would never get drunk and hit the kid or forget about him. You know, it would always watch him and protect him. This movie has a lot of big ideas like that, and it's kind of crazy because of how much I just remember this movie for it being action all the way through. It's weird, too, because John hasn't met his father, Kyle Reese, because he's from the future, and yet the... T-800 keeps saying, you'll meet John Reese, don't worry. Kyle Reese? God damn it. <laughs> Kyle Reese. Meet Kyle Reese. <laughs> you'll meet Kyle Reese in the future. There, we'll edit those in. <laughs> yeah, I'm too lazy to edit. Oh. And, um, not to let it go by, but this is also where he starts teaching Terminator how to do high five and all the stupid catchphrases like oh man just give me a moment these are so good so bad chill out no problemo <laughs> eat me 
Later, dickwad. And then he said, you can always feel free to combine them like... Chill out, dickwad. (laughs) (laughs) That's always funny. (laughs) Yeah, like, I don't know. As a kid, this is the stuff where I was saying, like, John Connor was kind of, like, cringy and I didn't like him. But now, looking back on it, I have nostalgia for, like, the slang of the 90s and being a stupid, awkward, embarrassing child thinking you know what's cool but you don't oh so then um we get a bunch of exposition about how skynet you know who creates skynet the history of cyberdyne um and how they make these military computers that in three years will become the you know largest supplier of military computer systems and he says like all stealth bombers are upgraded, becoming fully unmanned. But it's like, yeah, we have unmanned planes now, but it's not like we still don't make the decision. So I think this part kind of misses how technology evolved with this, but it just seems crazy that humans would ever have completely uncontrolled AI-only nuclear bombers flying around the world. Like, nobody would ever <laughs> allow that. Yeah. <clears throat> But yeah, the whole backstory of this, where Skynet becomes self-aware, there's like fan fiction online I've read where people like try to like write from the point of view of Skynet, like learning and becoming self-aware. And I don't know, people love this movie. The franchise kind of got ruined by the later movies, but there's still a lot of, a lot of good meat to this backstory. But see, so Miles Dyson, Joe Morton, he is, you know... Terminator 1, the first one, like they, that was like hit their factory. They found this, uh, the Terminator and they covered it up from, uh, yeah, they must've found the parts that were like messed up cause they crushed the yeah, first but Terminator. They found pieces like, like the arm and press. like the part of the chip and that. And so Miles Dyson, he's going through all that and like, it's giving him all these ideas. And so he's basically the founder of this Skynet, but Originally, you know, before this time of events, I guess, like, how did uh, Skynet come about? So, what you described is a causality loop. And they joke about this in, like, science fiction writing. But, like, it's kind of a lazy writing trope where going back in time causes something to happen. And therefore, like oh, that's fine, but at the end of the day, it kind of is uh, a logical paradox that doesn't make any sense. But I completely forgot that Joe Morton played Dyson in the first movie. I haven't seen the first movie in a while. It's way more 80s, whereas this one feels like yeah. the 90s to me. You know what I mean, though? Like, they're, well, what, what does she say? Like, fate is not... The future is not written. The second time around, you know, the first time, whatever, Skynet gets made, and then... Because then they send this Terminator back, and then they find these pieces and that, and then they change. She thinks she's going to change the future and eliminate Skynet, but really, the second time around. But there's narration in the beginning that mentions that Judgment Day didn't get canceled, it just got pushed back farther. But really, wouldn't it have been accelerated? Like, wouldn't it have came sooner if they got... Yeah, now that there's Terminators in the past and people are yeah, looking at the pieces, that was my yeah. Thought, anyway. Yeah, I've seen I've seen my share of videos <laughs> and reviews of this movie. 
that have pointed out some of these plot holes. <laughs> no fate but what we make. My father told her this. I mean, I made him memorize it up in the future as a message to her. Never mind. But yeah, right around the same time where she's, you know, writing The Future's Not Written, she has this second uh, little nightmare scene. Because in the first one, didn't she have nightmares of, like, the future and the holocaust of fire from the nuclear Ah, uh, Something like that, yeah. I don't know if it was exactly, like, the same. Was it? It's, it's the same playground as the yeah, beginning but I mean... of the movie. And again, we see Linda Hamilton's twin. You know, she's like a school teacher playing with children or something. And she's pounding on the fence, screaming at the kids. And this is just iconic, again, of the movie. Like, at a time when there wasn't a lot of, you know, examples of maybe like nuclear explosions blowing up cities and obliterating buildings and stuff, this is like what I think a lot of people had to go off of from our generation. I remember on the DVD, like, watching this scene a couple of times as a kid, just being, like, blown away by all the, I guess, effects of buildings just obliterating. And I think some of this is, like, model work, because you see, like, the bus and the trees tip over, and those are definitely models. (laughs) Those are dead giveaways. Yeah, before, like, Independence Day, I would say this was, like, some of the craziest, utter devastation I had ever seen on, like film and i think this still holds up today like you watch that scene and it's scary yeah it is it's people turning to ash and blowing away like dry leaves yeah before the shockwave even gets like they show everybody like trying to get away from the light you know and everybody's burning from the light and it's just this like screaming terrible scene of like people you know in tremendous pain i guess if i was having nightmares like this and i knew that somebody was responsible you know you can you can see why she just like that second grabs a gun grabs you know some tactical gear and just drives out to go kill this guy so we see miles dyson doing a little work from home on his pretty uh you know he's got his big crt monitor from the 90s out there and um she, you know, goes to snipe him from outside, and this whole scene, like, it just seems crazy that she couldn't, like, get the shot off. But it works really well, because the moment she gets inside and Dyson's child, you know, runs up to, like, hug him while he's, like, on the floor, and her looking into the eyes and just, like, going from soldier ready to kill to, like, crying on the floor having a breakdown, it's real believable. The acting's yeah. really good. And then right at that point in time, John and Arnold show up. Yeah, they weren't far behind for and what then they uh they can they lay it on him, explain to him like what all this is, and you know, Arnold cuts his arm open and shows him that under his flesh is the arm of a machine. There's a moment where Sarah Connor says that, like, just him quitting his job isn't good enough. And he kind of, you know, balks at the idea of, like, going to extreme actions that she wants him to. And it's funny because, like, 
she starts into this like tirade about like men like you are the people who built the hydrogen bomb and you know and going all like apocalyptic tirade about humanity being doomed and john kind of cuts her off like yeah mom i've heard this speech a couple of times like and saying how we got to convince him otherwise but it seems kind of crazy that like he would take them to their work at night and try to do this like scheme of blowing up an incredibly large like highly secured facility no time to like waste that. Were they going to sleep it off, wait till morning? <laughs> yeah. I guess, like, the moment you're being shot at and, like, it's that serious that somebody was about you to this kill now. you. <laughs> yeah, you're going to just start doing stuff. So they they try to get in. They have to pull guns right off the bat on the security guard and silent alarms called. And the police start showing up. And there's, like, a little bit of radio, like, chatter where you hear the dispatch talking about how the suspect is the same one that killed cops in the first Terminator movie back in, like, what does she say, like, 1984? So, yeah, the cops, you know, they've got a vendetta against that cop killer from the first Terminator. How many stars would you say they have in Grand Theft Auto? (laughs) At least three. (laughs) Helicopters get called on three stars. They were pretty much at five, maybe six. I don't know. Yeah. They didn't really have tanks, I guess, but SWAT. No, but the SWAT teams there, like it's, it's gone from like, they can do this to like, nope, somebody isn't going to make it out alive. So after like Arnold goes to deal with the police by doing this amazing, you know, scene where he uses the minigun but doesn't kill anyone he just is like shooting suppressing fire around we get that lovely visual on his display where he says (laughs) 0.0 casualties but after that the SWAT team comes in and this is where uh, Miles Dyson reaches his tragic end the SWAT team just you know lights him up like un- lights him up so many times that you know he's not going to walk out of there. Like, he's he's done for. And there's this moment where he looks at, like, Sarah Connor, and you can see in his eyes, like, he's just got this doomed look on his face. Really good acting by Joe Morton in this yep. scene. So they've wired up all those explosives. I'll let you yes, so they wired up all these explosives. I don't really know where they got all these 55-gallon drums full of uh, explosives. Perchlorate or something. (laughs) Just found all these many, many giant tubs of explosives and wired it all up, but whatever. Um, So Joe Morton's sitting there. He got all, you know, lit up, like you were saying, and he's got the detonator. And uh, he's pretty much holding the weight over it. And, you know, once he's exhausted, then the weight will hit the detonator and... uh, then, so the SWAT team makes it up, and they notice this. They see this, and they're pretty much like, get the hell out of here. They see all the explosives and detonator and whatnot. And so I think they make it close to out, maybe out, but big explosion once he's exhausted and drops it on the detonator. But all of the office is demolished. Yeah, well, you get that huge fireball. They do a pan-out shot of the helicopter. And um, 
Arnold, the T-800 Terminator, goes down to kind of clear out the lobby because the SWAT team is kind of regrouped. And just like before where John Connor says, like, don't kill anyone, he kind of, like, smiles or grins a little bit and says, don't, or trust me, I think. And he goes up and just walks through a hail of, you know, gunfire that the SWAT team's laying on him. And he does this scene where he, like, I think first grabs one of their guns or he uses, like, his grenade launcher shooting smoke grenades and just is doing non-lethal takedowns. But every guy in the SWAT team got shot in the leg. <clears throat> you think they all uh, started, like, a wheelchair basketball team after this? <laughs> what do you even say yeah we got took down by this guy that just couldn't kill him you know (laughs) i mean and they were shooting him so bad you saw like the metal start showing through like they had to know it's a robot retreat (laughs) i I thought it was funny yeah too like arnold he's going up and he grabs the uh smoke grenade launcher from the guy and like right as he's doing it he's just like ripping the guy's smoke your, you know, gas mask off. Like, here, I breathe some of this Fast. shit. <laughs> <laughs> and give me your gun. Yeah, fortress. Oh, man, that's so funny. <laughs> From here, I mean, we have another, like, couple of chases because the T-1000 becomes a helicopter pilot. Yeah, he just jumps out of the building into the helicopter. Yeah, it's like that crazy scene where, like, he turns to liquid and pours himself through the hole in the windshield. <laughs> yeah, what do you do? I guess you get out if you see that shit happen. I'd try to lower it maybe a little bit. <laughs> Cut some altitude. It doesn't seem like this part lasts long, because, right, he gets into, like, a crash. Terminator, Sarah, and um, John Connor are in that, like, SWAT van, but they both kind of lose their vehicles, and they switch over to trucks. What's with these Terminators always choosing trucks? Do you think they're, they got their commercial driver's license? <laughs> they just want the heavy machinery. Big trucks, big guns. Yeah, he picks a, a, he picks a semi-carrying liquid nitrogen. Choice. I guess really that's all that was available. They kind of just took the first thing they saw. It just happened to be trucks. But Yeah, the Terminator or Arnold's truck sucks. It's like an old converted, like turned into a camper or okay, something. Yeah. <laughs> Something. <laughs> it can only go 65. <laughs> this is the vehicle's top speed. I can get out of road faster than this. But yeah, they get the chase ends at a steel mill. And this, I think, is just, it's the climax of the movie. And it's where, like, the choice is just amazing. It works on so many levels with this liquid metal T-1000 going to a steel mill like where they have liquid metal floating around and the liquid nitrogen breaking open, you know, you have this glowing orange environment from all the heat and everything. And then the ice cold liquid nitrogen, you know, in this bluish gray, like it's such a striking contrast and it's where like the special effects start really blowing you away because after the T 1000 freezes in a puddle of the stuff, um, you know, he gets shot and explodes and then we slowly see all the like liquid metal of him coming back together because the heat of the foundry's warming up the pieces. It's unreal. Like for 1991, this scene is right at the limits of what was possible. 
Like, I've been to some industrial areas, and, like, it's crazy how hot, like, a lot of manufacturing plants will get, but a steel mill is, like, on another level. Yeah, oh, yeah. And it's, like, so scary to be in one with not, like, wearing protective clothing or anything. Just like some of those catwalks, I bet, are stupid hot. Yeah, I don't know how, yeah. I actually, I was in one on, uh, what day was that? Wednesday? But, yeah, I just, you know, that smell and that heat, like, I don't know how the hell you could work in one of those places for even a day, you know? I mean, yeah, you got it. What's it smell like? I mean, this place was, it was also a, it was a heat treating place, too, so they had, like, that ammonia, like, smell, too, so it was, like, extra oh, nasty. yeah. Yeah. Huge place and hot. Get the hell out of here! Yeah, so the freeze thaw of the T-1000 seems to have damaged him because he's walking around and he can't, like, control his... Uh, shape-shifting ability anymore and it's funny when like sarah connor is like being carried by john connor and arnold and like they turn a corner and arnold's like yeah let's go this way and she's like no no too hot like (laughs) it's too hot for us humans but yeah the t-1000 gets the drop on arnold and kills him in this like crazy battle where he drives like a, a rod through the chest of the yeah, T-800. Yeah, basically pinning him to like the catwalk. Yeah, and before that, he was like crushing his head with that overhead crane with the big yeah, like hook on it. Yeah, it into his head <clears throat> time after time. <clears throat> Seems like a dangerous thing to try to film. <laughs> All right, get Arnold out of there and put the dummy in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so after the T-1000 takes out Arnold, he starts imitating Sarah Connor. And like you said, he had sampled her like a while ago. He must have stabbed her a couple times by now, it seems. <laughs> and um, the T-800, he's he's dead, but he restarts his uh, himself in safe mode. And the final like battle is him coming up that like conveyor belt with a grenade launcher after Sarah like puts, you know, a bunch of shotgun rounds into the T-1000. And there's just that split moment where like, she's out of ammo and the T-1000 starts wagging his finger thinking he's, you know, he's got victory right now. But holy cow, that like moment where he gets blown apart and the, you know, he's completely distorted and like stretched out and making all these crazy animal noises. And then he gets... Dropped into the vat of liquid steel. Do you think he ruined the batch of steel with all those impurities? (laughs) What if that whole batch of steel is now all T-1000 and it's like able? Yeah, once it cools off, it's able to make more than just one T-1000. That's how T-1000s are uh, made, you know? It's like sex. They form a great link (laughs) in the lake of metal. Just keep it hot. (laughs) yeah sorry this steel mill can never cool down this batch of metal (laughs) so after the climax of the movie we now have to deal with the fact that in order to prevent skynet we have to destroy every trace of the modern technology that cyberdyne created that will lead to this 
And the self-termination, as Arnold refers to it, is a real touching scene. Even as a kid, I remember, you know, feeling like all the ideas and conversations that John Connor was having with him and Sarah saying how he'd make a good dad and how he has to sacrifice himself. It's the same thing with, like, uh, Miles Dyson's character where it's, like, doomed, you know? He'll never... He never had a future in order to save everybody else. But yeah, we get the thumbs up, and then... The Terminator T-800 liquefies with the T-1000. No animal noises. The T-800,000. No animal noises from the T-800. Yeah, I don't understand those animal noises. Or when it was, like, cycling through all the humans that it was imitating, like... I can't remember if the first movie used the same ending shot where they do a moving road with no view of, like, the future. So it's kind of like the symbol of the future is not yet known. But I like it. I, I like it how they does, always... doesn't it? Or something like where they're... She's driving in that Jeep in, yeah. like, Mexico. You know what? I thought that yeah. one... There was... I don't think the T-1000 ever took over, like, the form of John Connor. Because I was like, that's no, what I was thinking too. Think like so. when they were, what at that point when they were running, they they had the cop car and it was Arnold and um, John Connor, um, Sarah Connor, and then the T one thousand runs up and gets the his metal hook into the back of the the trunk of the car, the squad car, and then John Connor grabs the chunk and throws the metal back into the street. That's what I was thinking too. I'm like, oh. Yeah, that wasn't when enough is... for him to okay. sample them, I guess. That's what I was thinking, though. I'm like... You got to penetrate their flesh. Uh, maybe you're right there, but that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, at some point, we're going to see John Connor here, and it's not going to be him. But it never happened. You know, if there was no other sequels, and this was the only two Terminator movies, and I think a lot of people agree with me, it would have been fine. The sequels are... Not as good as this movie, and at this point, like, they've almost made it so complicated of a, you know, story that I don't even care anymore. I mean, I've watched a bunch of the other Terminators, and some of them are better than others, but nothing, like, even comes close to this movie. Like, as a kid, I would not even, without a question, give this a 10. And I'm still tempted to give this, like, it's a perfect movie. It has... A mix of seriousness to it, but it's almost, like, kid-friendly, even though it's very violent. Compared to the first one, the first one's much more of a horror movie. This movie feels like, you know, a kid and his dad, but his dad's a robot. <laughs> it's really weird. Um, and between, like, the, the story, the acting, the special effects... The music, I mean, we didn't talk too much about that, but the music is so perfect. The cinematography is perfect. Um, the only thing I can maybe take a little off for is, like, the acting isn't perfect, and there's story. the storyline has some plot holes. But, you know, I think I'm going to give this a 9.5. I mean, we shouldn't start breaking up the ratings too much, but I'll say it's, a, it's, it's adjacent to perfection. Damn, you stole my number. <laughs> Not nine, but not a ten. See, like we I we were talking about what do you give a ten to? Yeah. Nine and a half, yeah. I I'd give it the same. Not not a nine, but not a ten. Um 
So do you think this movie was better than the first one? Yeah. A good example of just like how much different this movie is to the first one is you look at that ending scene and like the special effects are clunky in the first scene. The idea of them in like a robot factory is kind of stupid and cliche. But yet in the second one, like the steel mill scene at the end is analogous to it and it just works so much better. It like is satisfying. It's visually stunning. Um, if the first one I had to put a rating on, even though we didn't watch it or talk about it, it's going to be like at least another point lower, like seven or an eight. Whereas this really is one of the few exceptions of like a sequel being much right. better than the original. Yeah. Who would you say your favorite character is? Oh, geez. My favorite character is Sarah Connor. I keep saying she's like the quintessential female survival you know, role model. And there's something about like, even when she's completely captured and rendered helpless at like the mental hospital and she's like doing push-ups and pull-ups and keeping her mind straight. And like the soldier mentality, even though she's not, you know, it's just her knowledge that causes her to do these things. And there's kind of a, there's a, appreciation because she carries around this knowledge that like everything is going to be destroyed and collapse and the future is doomed for humanity. And yet she doesn't like just fall apart, but she like rises to the occasion. And there's something, you know, super commendable about the amount of sacrifice she's put in for her life to get here. So that, that would be my favorite character. I haven't really left you with much because the other ones are machines. (laughs) We already kind of talked about how Edward Furlong isn't great. Um, geez, yeah, I guess, you know, I was going to say Sarah Connor, but then you kind of jumped in there. Maybe I'll say Dr. Silberman, because Sarah, Sarah Connor was a nut job. <laughs> yeah, dude, John Connor even calls his mom a wacko. She blew up some sort of computer factory. <laughs> Sure, I'll take that, Doctor Silverman. <laughs> he was. Human. I feel like in the later movies, uh, Doctor Silverman is still kind of a hesitant character. He's like, "Yeah, the other Terminators." <laughs> <laughs> so, could this movie happen in real life? Like, I think we'll take it apart. Like, could machines become self-aware? And then could machines wage war on all of humanity as a new nation of robots? <laughs> One nation. What would their flag be? <laughs> they wouldn't bother with flags. <laughs> it would be a holographic. I think it's cool when they show the flash forward to the future because James Cameron, you know, be it an intentional decision or not. Like, he put all that effort, and it's a very short part of the movie, and it's like he's established there's all these different types of units in the robot army, you know, air units and ground units, that humans have also, like, picked up laser technology, and it's this, like, crazy war scene. But it's only a couple minutes of this movie, and he, like, did all that thinking and scenes and directing to, like, create the universe for this movie. It's really... It's in the same vein as, like, The Matrix, where The Matrix shows that doomed future where machines took over and just kicked humans' ass. Was the second Matrix better than the first Matrix? 
You know, the second Matrix tried to do the same thing. Be a bigger, more impressive visual and special effects movie. But something about the second Matrix just started making the storyline really complicated. And it doesn't have the same feel. Like, I'd say the first Matrix is better than the second Matrix. Whereas in this case, I'd say the second Terminator is much better than the first. But I don't know. I don't think something like... I don't worry about this as a problem so much. I mean, if machines ever became self-aware, I think it would just be they would fuck us over by turning the power (laughs) off on us or something. (laughs) That would kill humanity quick enough. (laughs) Like, they don't need to... They don't need to do anything more drastic than like, oh, we poisoned the humans' food and water. Oh, we turned off their electricity. We caused their GPS to tell them to turn left every time. (laughs) Is there anything that this film teaches us that's useful about things? It's weird because time travel, as far as I'm concerned, is not real. So, like... I don't think there's companies out there that have advanced technology from the future, and that's how they've made their... Advancements. <laughs> Maybe don't take a truck if you're in a high-speed chase, or be faster than someone chasing you. End your chase at a foundry. <laughs> Humans always win. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, back to that section where you was saying, like, it's in your nature to destroy each other. What do you think about that? Do you think this movie has a positive spin on humanity or not? Ah, yeah. Good question. A little of both. Humans win, but it is a little bit negative towards human. I don't think it ever, like, definitively says whether we win or not. Live to fight another day. Yeah, the future's not known. Even if, like, James Cameron's vision of machines taking over isn't the thing that happens, I don't think he's that one way or the other about humans not destroying themselves. Cause he even says like, yeah, Skynet knew the Russians would counterattack, and that's how he got Skynet got rid of its enemies. So he's already counting on just the geopolitical situation being that tenuous at best. Ugh. Do you have a favorite scene or anything you want to mention? Favorite scene, huh? Um, I would have to say liquid nitrogen scene. With the yeah, T-1000 and freezing up and that when he was taking his steps and breaking his legs off. And, and then after that one is... I remember asking my dad about, like, what the hell liquid nitrogen is and why is it so cold and all that and being confused as a kid. I was like, it looks like water. <laughs> it is a cool scene. And then, like, after that he's kind of, like, malfunctioning too and, and stuff where he's, like looking like what he's walking on. Like, his legs start looking like the diamond plate that he's stepping on, and then that was a cool scene. Yeah, I remember the special edition DVD that I saw this on had all those making of, and I always didn't want to watch the making of this movie because I felt it ruined the magic for me. Like, I don't know, sometimes when I see how some of these films are made, like, the suspension of disbelief breaks completely, and I don't watch the movie ever the same way so oh so it's uh time to select a new movie and this has been kind of a point of contention we had joked about um that the random number generator isn't actually random and i've just been picking these movies and rob doesn't know i'm (laughs) lying to him 
But I I assure you, if you look at the movies we've done so far, that's not the case. <laughs> All right, I got the list up, and I feel like we've done some pruning and added some other movies to it. There was that one ridiculous movie that, oh, who was? Somebody in our group of friends posted it was like a ski movie about spiders and i was i was worried because i realized it was another disaster movie and that we might have to do it it looked <laughs> terrible i don't know like some i had mentioned that james cameron worked on that piranha movie and that's a quintessential terrible movie that i don't know are we good at talking about bad movies or good at talking about good movies <laughs> All right. So, 100 movies. And, uh... Random. Number generator. True random numbers. That's what I'm looking for. All right. You ready, Rob? Yeah. If it's in the 30s, it's not random. All right, I agree with you. Generating. The number is 51. 51 is the movie Signs, the 2002 science fiction film written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, starring Mel Gibson. Oh, my God. I've seen this. I don't remember entirely the storyline, but I I do remember that I I think I remember what I would have rated it, but I don't really remember exactly what it was about. Are you ready to hate watch a movie? Because that's oh my god, I hate these movies. All right, <laughs> well, like I said, it's a science thriller film written and directed by M Night Shyamalan. So you know, twist endings are kind of one of his trademarks, along with crappy movies. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, I won't say any more because it's kind of a one trick pony. Otherwise, you know, I'll just record another me choosing a different movie because God is this. All right. (laughs) So what do we do at the end of a podcast? We tell our listeners to follow us, like us, and share us. Uh, We have a Facebook group at dead end disaster podcast there's a subreddit our theme music is dead end by brain story and uh don't forget to keep writing five star reviews on apple podcasts it helps the podcast get more exposure to new listeners and with that we've reached another dead end i'm rob Fauché. and i'm matt Blumer.